Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Hello, I'm Rebecca Tor, and welcome to the Emerald Podcast Series. Equality, diversity and inclusion have become a higher priority for company leaders in recent years. Conversations around diversity and inclusion have tripled in the last year and diversity and inclusion roles are growing 1.65 times faster than HR roles. There appears to be a real drive for change in the workplace, but yet there is a lack of understanding among leaders around what effective steps should be taken. Hence, the struggles of executives from ethnically diverse backgrounds remain in the workplace. To delve into these issues, I'm joined by Jenny Garrett, OBE, renowned career coach, leadership trainer, speaker, and author of Rockin' Your Role, which focuses on empowering female breadwinners, and most recently, Equality versus Equity, which examines the concept of racial equity, provides case studies of lived experiences, and offers practical tips to help the reader move the dial on inclusion. Join us as we discuss the inequalities and discrimination still faced by executives from ethnically diverse backgrounds in the workplace, as well as the steps leaders can take to further equity and inclusion. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it, Rebecca, and really happy to be chatting with you today. Yeah, so where did it all start? Well, um, maybe I'll start with with my parents, actually, because that's where we all start. (laughs) Um, So my mum is from St. Lucia in the Caribbean and my dad from Jamaica. They both came here in their teen years. Their parents had come before them and then sent for them when they had enough money to do so. Um, So I think that's an interesting start because um, what that brings with you is that sense of maybe feeling like you don't quite belong and thinking that you must assimilate. And I know that my granddad on my mum's side definitely used to say, you know, forget everything that you knew uh, previously. I don't speak French Creole because that's what they speak in St. Lucia. Speak English, you know, ditch everything else. You've got to fit in. Um, I went into the world of work. I actually wanted to be a fashion designer, um, but uh, didn't get into art school. Went into the world of work and 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 then decided to do a degree part-time in the evenings which started off being art and design and ended up being a business degree um and um yeah that and that sort of held me in good stead in lots of different ways i went into marketing um and really loved marketing until one day uh, a colleague who's now a good friend came into my office and just said where now where are you going with your career and I remember thinking, I'm here. <laughs> I'm doing quite well for myself. Thank you. And uh, she said, you can do more. You could train people or you could perhaps uh, coach. Uh, you could do some. You could do more. Um, I wasn't a confident public speaker at the time. I was the sort of public speaker whose knees would knock, whose um, words would get stuck in their throat, who'd forget what they had to say. That's the kind of public speaker I was. So um, that idea, when she said, start training people, I thought I'd never be able to do that. But she said, people come into your office, they come away motivated, they come away with actions. Perhaps you can uh, go on a coaching program. And I worked for a business school, so I was in absolutely the right place to uh, take advantage of all the training and development. I started uh, on a coaching program, found it personally and professionally transformational um, and realized coaching was the thing I wanted to do. Um, But I felt very stuck. Um, And so what I did was I got some coaching myself 
And uh, that coach helped me to go down to four days a week in my job. And on the fifth day, think about how I could start to coach, find out if it was something I actually liked doing. Um, and uh, within a year I, of doing that, I had become freelance. And that is 18 years ago now. Incredible! It's absolutely incredible to hear your story, and I think, gosh, you know how much you've achieved. And and I suppose that brings me to the next question because you obviously did go on, and like you said, that was eighteen years ago, and you went on in two thousand and six to found your company as it is now, which is Jenny Garrett. And I know you're working with um, quite a lot of different individuals in your team and organisations, and and you're not just just coaching, are you? I mean, you're doing a whole load of things, you know, to create change, and that's the thing is to make a difference. And so maybe you can tell me something around um, the ways that you do work with individuals, and sort of what difference it has made to them um, and and their families and their workplaces. Because I, I I think it's not just about you know, jobs and, you know, where we're going in our, in our careers, like, but actually their lives and how that impacts them and their families. Yes. Yeah, so my journey started off providing one-to-one coaching and then leadership development programs. Um, and then really sort of niching, I guess, around gender um, and, and ethnicity um, as I've gone on, all focused on leadership. Um, I, I think coaching and training is so powerful. Um, I feel very, very honoured to do the work I do on a daily basis for people to be open enough to let someone in who can then help unlock their potential. And it really is not about me being the expert. It's about me asking the right questions and all the work we do with organisations. So there's a, a team of associates I work with and there are about 30 of us. What we, what we do is we're working with people so they can really see the best of themselves, um, so they can maybe let go of who uh, they think everyone expects them to be and it really step into being who, who they really are at their best um, and think about how that benefits, as you said, their organisation, but also everyone around them. Probably helpful to give you some examples of how we work with people. So if I just give an example of one-to-one coaching, a client I had last year came to me because she was in an organization. She'd been promoted, but she was doing her current role and also the previous role. They hadn't backfilled. And she'd been doing that for a really long time. She'd spoken to her director and said, you know, I want a director role. Um, tell me what I'm not doing so that I can fill any gaps. So when promotions come up, I'll be in the right position. Um, she spoke to her director. He said, you're ticking every box. I think it's going to be absolutely fine when you go uh, for promotion. The panel debated it and she didn't get a promotion. They said they they weren't quite sure what she was doing because she was still doing the operational role and the strategic role. It had confused them. There was no credit for the fact that they that she was doing so much. Her, her boss apologised that she didn't get the promotion and said, oh, you know, you can have a coach as a sort of consolation prize. Um, and I worked with her to try and get to the bottom of this. I, I helped her secure a sponsor, you know, helped her think about how she can get sponsorship throughout the organization and move into the role that she deserved because she was at the point of being so demotivated and demoralized that she was saying, I'll go to any role. I don't mind going backwards if I need to um, just to get out of where I am because this is so demoralizing for me. By the end of the coaching, she had a director role. Um, and she had secured much more um, financial income as a result of it. 
and really interesting when she told her line manager, you know, I'm going to, I've got this role. Well, what can I do to keep you? Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you more money. I'll give you the staff that you've been waiting for over a year. Um, you know, I'm sure I can get you this role. And actually, I think, you know, part of what happens sometimes is that line managers think I'll have to, it'll be three people to replace you. So I better keep you where you are rather than, you know, actually letting you unlock your full potential. So that's one of my really happy success stories. And, and you know, when she did get that um, promotion, they tried not to pay her the full amount. Uh, and, and one thing that was really good was my sort of insight into go and look at your gender and ethnicity pay gap data and, and talk to them through that lens. And she was able to uh, get the, the financial uh, recompense that she deserved. So that, that's a nice story about an individual. Organizationally, what we do is we work with organizations to understand where their glass ceiling is. So where do we look up and we don't see many, many women or many people from ethnically diverse backgrounds? At what level is that in your organization? And we work with a level just beneath it. And what we do is we support the individuals, but also their line managers and senior sponsors. So we're really proud of what we call this triangle of development. We develop everyone uh, in order to break through that glass ceiling. And so the participants on the program will um, learn more about leveraging their strengths and their uniqueness, about their brand, about networking, about communication. But the line managers will learn more about what it is to be an inclusive leader to all of their staff and understand some of the challenges and barriers that their colleagues might be facing. Um, and the senior leaders um, sponsor them. So they advocate for them in rooms that they're not in. They really help them move forward in their career. But because of that relationship, they also get a better understanding of some of the barriers uh, and systemic barriers that exist in their organization. And they're in a position to do something about it. Um, our programs are really, we feel successful usually at least a quarter of the people on the program are promoted before it's finished. Um, and that number goes up afterwards. And we've worked with some, we work with some very big organizations uh, who've taken hundreds of people through our programs really successfully. So I'm very proud of both of, you know, whether it's one-to-one -one coaching or the larger interventions that we do, it's all about unlocking that potential and making sure people can be their most productive and happy in their role and feel a sense of belonging. And that, that of course, affects every aspect of their life. It's really heartening to listen to the, your holistic approach with organisations as well as individuals, because I think in terms of looking, and you mentioned about systemic changes, I mean, obviously that has to come from an organisation as well as just pushing from an individual, you know, it's it's just exhausting for, for them so it has it has to be that sort of holistic um approach and obviously you do you know you do a lot of work to you know to address those kinds of equality diversity and inclusion um issues and I just wondered if you could um maybe talk a bit to that and um sort of where we are really in terms of you know our diversity strategies and and you know it, we may have them because I think a lot of organisations do have these policies and, you know, there's a lot of noise about it. But what do you see in terms of change? Because I think that's that's maybe not at the same level as the, the noise. If You know, like what are people's lives really changing? And is there a, are you seeing like a big difference? Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, after the killing of George Floyd, there 
organizations realized that they had to do something and they had to speak up. Um, some engaged in a very performative way, which was I need to tick a box to say that I've done something. And that could have been you know, a social media post or even a strategy or a blog. Um, and, and then they've done their job. Others, I think, have really done the work and many of them behind the scenes. So, for example, a lot of the organizations we work with, we can't even talk about um, because they they don't want the publicity around about it. They just want to do the work. Um, and there are many organizations that are doing the work. They're putting in time and investment, whether that's resource or money uh, to really commit um, and one organization we work with, it comes right from the top. The person who's the CEO is the senior sponsor of their um, ethnicity um, employee resource group, for, for example. And what they've done is they've said, actually, we need to develop our staff. Um, we've realized that you know there is this glass ceiling. And when we look up, we don't see that diversity. So we're going to put our money where our mouth is and invest in hundreds of staff being developed and their line managers and their sponsors. But they've also gone beyond that, which is uh, actually when there is something high profile going on, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, a killing of somebody or uh, something else happening in the world, we're going to have um, groups where people can talk about these things. We're going to create spaces, um, facilitated spaces where people are supported. Um, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that our suppliers are, are you know, are from diverse backgrounds. You know, in Black History Month, we're not just going to have a guest speaker, which is a great thing to do, but we're also going to um, buy from uh, Black-owned uh, stores or in our in our organisation have stores come in where uh, Black people, so we can actually financially support the Black community and we're going to engage with our Black community, for example. And so it goes beyond the sort of, oh, we're celebrating a month and we're going to have one thing that happens and we've ticked the box to actually how can we do something that's more sustainable and ongoing and I think it is ongoing um in my book I take from an author who said that racism is shape-shifting it's constantly shape-shifting and we need to be vigilant uh to it um it isn't most of the time a direct racism that you get nowadays you know people aren't shouting you in the street but there is uh uh, more covert things happening that exclude you from taking advantage or being part of um, a mainstream that you might want to be part of. And I think being aware of that as an organization, you bring people in, you notice where the gaps are and you, you notice it with regard to your recruitment, but your suppliers um, uh, and in many other ways. And some organizations are doing that work where they're really uh, holistically in every from every perspective always thinking about how they can embed diversity, equity, and inclusion in their work. And organizations that we've worked with for a long time, so for, say four years, for example, I've seen that the managers who were coming on previously, you know, um, appeared to be white managers. And the managers who are coming on now onto the program, 50% of them are, you know, from ethnically diverse backgrounds, women, et cetera. There's so much more diversity. And then you can really see it happening but you've got to do it over a period of time. You can't just do, you know, a two hour session and, uh, you know, I've changed the world. Unfortunately, it's not like that. 
No, it's really encouraging to hear that actually companies are sort of making a change that is actually part of their culture now. It's not it's not an event, it's not an activity, it's just something it's who they are and it's and it's their and their goal really is and they're gonna do everything they can to, to get there. And you did mention your book and um which is Equality versus Equity and it's tackling issues of race in the workplace. And I think it'd be quite nice for people to know a bit more about that, like how it came about and sort of what it covers, if you could sort of um, just tell us something a- a- around that, that would be lovely. Well, I, I've got to thank Emerald because I was delivering a talk and um, one of your editors was in the audience and said, oh gosh, that, that, that topic sounds really interesting. And um, I, I wrote a book proposal, which you luck- wonderfully accepted and uh, the book was born. So thank you all at Emerald very, very much. Um, yeah, it's all about the idea of equality versus equity. And I think it's a really important idea because um, equality is not working for us. I talk about in the book, this idea of a seesaw, that if one person's heavier on a seesaw and one person is lighter, even if you give them both exactly the same weight, you'd just be reinforcing the status quo. The heavy person would still be heavy and the lighter person would still be lighter. Um, What we're trying to do with equity is we're trying to balance that seesaw and that means that we give the person who's lighter a little bit more um, so that we can balance it out now that little bit more can be things like sponsorship which I mentioned earlier which is someone advocating for you who's really senior it can be things like diverse panels where actually I when I go to a panel you know, at least one person on that panel is from my background. It could be woman, could be someone from an ethnically diverse background. And the diversity on the panel means they're going to have more robust conversations, um, especially if each of them has the same power to debate um, and means that it's more likely they'll, uh, I will get a fairer chance and an opportunity. And it also looks like things like making sure everyone gets the same stretch opportunities in the workplace, or it looks like not being biased because someone has an accent um, and thinking perhaps they're not leadership material because of it. So it's about adding these sandbags in place so that we even things out Um, and understanding that that's challenging, that the person who's always been heavier on that seesaw might resent it a bit because now they don't have that power to bump the other person and, and control what's going on. And also the person who now has the sandbags might it might take them a little while to learn how to make the most of it, or they might not trust that they've got those sandbags that they might think that they're going to be taken away. But ultimately, we're trying to get to a place where there's a push and pull, and we're all working together, and people get what they need to be successful. And we understand that what everyone needs is different. Um, And to really unlock the potential um, in each of your colleagues, if you're a, a manager, for example, you need to understand what that person needs and you need to give it to them so that they have an equal opportunity uh, to actually be successful because what we're doing right now doesn't really deliver that. So we're moving power and, and sharing power. We're focusing on outputs, not just inputs as we have in the past. Um, and we're really trying to appreciate difference rather than tolerate difference. It's sort of, what does this person bring? What can they add? Rather than how can I make them fit in is is what we're doing when we're thinking about equity. I, th- I think your your book's really thought provoking. And, you know, even the concept of um, what is equity, you know, I, I think people really understand equality, 
but why isn't the quality enough, you know? And I think just sort of unpicking that and understanding sort of like you've just explained, that is really helpful. And, um, and what I particularly like about the book as well is how practical it is. So in, in one section, you share people's lived experiences of racism and discrimination. And then you sort of encourage the reader to reflect on the story. And then you ask them a series of questions, helping them, prompting them to do that. Um, and I, yeah, maybe you can just sort of give a little a bit of an idea um, to our listeners on how you structured the book and sort of how the practical tasks and tips can support change. You know, if they just do this one, maybe they, they won't be able to do the coaching part of it um, or the organisation part of it, but maybe just from, you know, someone wants to read the book and actually, you know, try to do this in their organisation. Um, how, how could it help them? Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I am very practical. That's that's me. I'm always thinking about what someone going to take away that's going to be useful for them. Um, it's it's lovely to provoke thought, but actually, what can we what can we actually do? Um, and I wanted to start with my own lived experience because I wanted to start with actually what have I experienced in my life um, and why this is really important to me. Um, and and so you know that's where I started. I I recalled some incident instances even from childhood that I'd experienced which probably are shocking to some people because um, uh, I I think that if you've never experienced any of these things it can be amazing to think that the you know people can shout at you in the street or exclude you at dinner all of these different things in you know in 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 the last you know few decades that this could still be going on but it absolutely is and I think it People feel it's quite powerful. The the first just introduction um, to to sort of ground the book. Um, then I talk about a little bit more about the history of race in the UK um, and this idea of meritocracy. Uh, you know that that idea that everyone says yes, we want to give people roles, but we've got to make sure it's on merit. Um, and and challenging that idea. Um, and I, I think we all need to challenge that idea. We've all had opportunities because someone knew someone um, because of your network. Um, some people don't have the network. Uh, we might have had opportunities because we've got some commonality. We went to the same university as someone else and they, they have an affinity with us. Some people have been educated in a different country. These things all hold them back. And, and so when we say you know, merit, I think we have to challenge that. We have to say, what can someone add culturally rather than how how can we just dis- describe what the right credentials are? We know there's preferences for particularly universities, particular ways of speaking. All of these things mean that actually um, someone who's highly qualified, highly experienced still might not get the, get the role. So we challenge this idea around meritocracy. And then I provide tips and I provide tips at every stage. Um, and then I move into a case study. For me, it was about bringing it to life. I kind of brought lots of conversations I've had with lots of different people together into one person's life. Um, so it is a totally fictional character. But I talk about his experience from childhood and the ad- adultification that can happen for people from ethnically diverse backgrounds, the um, higher levels of exclusion that can happen uh, just because you speak up and you stand out, um, to his experience in education um, and uh, getting a first role, and even how, you know, that that sounding like perhaps the fairy story had happened and he was living a happy life, the different things that could be happening in the work environment and the 
lack of understanding of his cultural background and how that could be misconstrued and misunderstood um, and and maybe lead to him leaving a role where his line manager hadn't hadn't intended any of those things to happen. And I think the, you know, the chapter in many ways that I think is really helpful to people, and you might be hearing me turn in page in my book on the podcast, is this idea of being an empathetic change maker. Um, I think this is the mindset is a lot of the work that needs to be done. So how how we can develop empathy and also be uh, a person who makes change happen. And that can be in the world, in ourselves. Um, in our organizations. So how we can hold two truths to be true. Um, uh, you know, uh, the fact that uh, you and I, Rebecca, could go to the same party and have very different experiences um, and both of those be completely correct. I, I think that's really key. The fact that our understanding, if we open up our understanding and realize that um, actually some people are just generally having a different experience, because um, they have different privileges to us um, and start to think about how we can humbly use what we have. Um, you know, I've talked about this with you before, Rebecca, but this idea that um, actually I'm a black woman and therefore there are those two levels of discrimination, sexism I can experience. And that is a compound effect um, as we, when we talk about intersectionality this idea that one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals a lot more when we're talking about layers of discrimination and prejudice. Um, so yes, racism and sexism can be things I experience, but as a heterosexual woman, I don't experience homophobia. And therefore in spaces where I'm with someone from the LGBT community, I can use my privilege really humbly to be the one who speaks up rather than them holding that, you know, having to carry that on their shoulders and always speak up for themselves. And I, I talk about what that sort of radical humbling looks like for people. What does it look like in practice? What might you do? What might you say? Um, and, and the idea that we need to persevere um, and really keep going with this, even though sometimes it can feel hard. But yeah, there are tips at every stage. Um, and I talk organizationally in the chapter four, and then chapter five is about how do I do the work myself? How do I challenge my thinking? What are the questions I should be asking myself? Um, um, and um, I'm a real fan of journaling. So I, I have a lot of journal prompts that you could just wake up, write that question down and reflect on. And I often on a Sunday um, just take some time out in the morning, have a prompt for myself and do a bit of journaling around that and then reflect on that that what I've journaled for the rest of the week. And lastly, it's one of the most exciting things in the book, actually, that I nearly forgot is a glossary of terms because the language is constantly changing and evolving. Um, and um, a lot of people um, confuse language like privilege with meaning, oh, I must be really wealthy and have had a you know silver spoon in my mouth, for example. So all of the language is, is sort of listed and explained as well. 
I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because I think often, you, you know, people that don't understand, you know, the all of the issues, and um, and obviously that's where your insights are really revealing to to people that have never experienced it. I think the, the terms and the right thing to say is why people don't speak out, isn't it? Often because that you know they don't want to get get it wrong. But like you like you're saying, actually, you know, we need to look beyond ourselves, and we need to have that empathetic. Um, approach to you know making change and and being and being open and I think it, it's really it's very useful to to just have those you know start like you've like you've structured it I think it's just it's so practical because you can put yourself in someone else's shoes then when you sort of understand what actually happens you know these are, are real things that have happened and I suppose this sort of leads me now to the future because you know, you've done so many incredible things and, and you're making such a difference to people's lives and you do lots of talks and, and your awareness. And I think you're very selfless in, you know, you're, you give out so so much to people in terms of tips and hints and things. And um, and it's always, it comes from the heart and and, and, I, and people see that and that's why it is touching so many people's lives. And I, I just wonder what sort of, what, you know, you see next really for yourself and, um, and maybe what needs you know if there's like you know one or two things we can take away from this talk in terms of like if we're leaders listening in or if we're individuals listening listening in um you know what can what can we do you know to to make that change so a bit about sort of what we can do but also what's next for you and and, you know in you know is there going to be another book maybe (laughs) yeah yeah it's really interesting so when I um I have written a book before this book and it was a long time ago 10 years ago or so and after I wrote that book everyone said to me oh you're gonna write another one and I remember saying I don't know I don't think I've got much to say I think that that was it for me a one-off book actually immediately when I finished this book I thought oh I want I I could write another book tomorrow so I, I I think definitely I would like to write more um around this topic anything that can help people it might be more conversations tips so actually how do I have conversations um uh or it might be more about coaching and um uh sort of uh um, and diversity I'm not sure but yes I've definitely got some uh ideas for writing more books I think tips for individuals here. Um, one of the things I always talk about is your trusted 10. Who are, if you um, wrote your closest people to you, your trusted 10, who are not your family, and then sort of look at who they are in terms of gender, uh, ethnicity, religious belief, education, you know, all of, just think about all, you know, ability, etc. Look at that. Um, often we surround ourselves, our trusted 10 are pretty similar to ourselves. And I would encourage everyone to just do that exercise and then think, who am I going to reach out to to bring into my trusted 10? Of course, it takes time to build relationships, but we can have a lot of people that we know on the outskirts of our life. So I I could say, yes, I know lots of people from this background and that background, but if they're not in my trusted 10, it's quite a superficial relationship quite often. And I think if we're really going to break barriers, we need to Uh, have more diversity in our trusted 10 people and so that would be one thing that I'd encourage you to do just look write down your trusted 10 notice um, the diversity within it or or lack of diversity within it and then go out of your way to to um, get to know someone to bring in your trust into your trusted 10 it will take time but I think it will make a huge difference
Thank you for listening to our episode on how to achieve equity in the workplace. You can find more information about Jenny Garrett's book, Equality versus Equity, and a transcript of the episode on our website. I'd like to thank Jenny for joining me and sharing her insights and experiences. My thanks also goes to podcast producer Daniel Ridge and the studio, This Is Distorted.